Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. It's about what you're doing in the earth. It's about what you're doing in our heart. So, Lord, we just ask that you would just come be among us. Walk among the candlesticks like in Revelation, God. Be amongst us in our midst. Jesus' name. Amen and amen. How's everybody doing? Everybody doing okay? Amen. Looking forward to uh, bringing this word to you. I'm going to tell the Christmas story like you've never heard it in your entire life. Okay? So put your seatbelt on. Okay? It's going to get a little weird. It's going to get a little wild. But that's okay because it's biblical. Okay? It's biblical. Uh, Thank you so much. I just want to honor Tommy and Jeannie for coming again. Thank you so much for being here. Means means the world. Thank you for the deacons for making that happen. And uh, you know, it's it's kind of hard. It's kind of like, have you ever been to Grand and Malvern? Right. It's like 501 Prime is right here, but then across the street is McDonald's. And I kind of feel like filet mignons over there, and you guys got a Big Mac right now. Um, but hey, hopefully after this, you'll be saying, I'm loving it. <laughs> Slap somebody a high five and say, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Yeah. Now, the Christmas story is kind of this kind of very tame thing. Like, I, I have this Fisher Price um, set that my daughter has, and it's really cool. You see that there? And so me and Abigail, me and Kennedy, it's made it through two children now with, um, uh, we might be shy, some of the parts, so we have to ad-lib a little bit uh, over the time of packing and unpacking it every year. But, but this is kind of this, this thing, this is what we use. And now, now Abigail, and Abigail's learning all the parts, and her mom's working with her. And so I'm like, who's this? This is Joseph. This is Mary. This is Jesus. And we're kind of going through it. But, but I think sometimes this is how we can see the Christmas story. It's like this tame, very mild, very tempered thing. Um, but I want to tell you that the real Christmas story was not tame, It was not mild. Um, It was not something that was easily looked over. It was something that was basically, it was a warfare. There was warfare going on for the birth of a child. And I want to tell you that nothing strikes fear into the heart of Satan more than when a child is born. Because when a child is born, there's potential within that child to change the world. So an act of birthing is not a tame act. An act of birthing something is an act of war against Satan and his kingdom, and he knows it. He knows it. He knows it. It's an act of war. And so... This Christmas story we're going to be looking at in Revelation chapter 12. Just just bear with me, okay? Just bear with me. Revelation chapter 12. Because what was going on in heaven when Jesus was being born? 
See, we have this view down here, but what did it look like in the cosmic realm when Jesus was becoming a man and putting on human flesh and coming into the earth? That it was cosmic warfare that was going on. That the Christmas story, we're going to tell it from the cosmic realm. Because I'm going to tell you what. If you've ever been in a birthing room, there's nothing tame about that room. I'm going to promise you that. It's not the Hallmark movie where you cue the snowflakes at the right time and everybody's happy. I mean, it. I want to be careful here. I, I didn't ask him's permission, but you know what? Who cares? I, could, I got a good, comfortable, long couch that is very comfortable. But when we had Kennedy, I want to tell you something. We were excited. There was expectation. And then I've realized that there's three trimesters to a woman's pregnancy. The first trimester is sickness. The second trimester is glowing and saying, oh, I love being pregnant. And then the third trimester is, get this thing out of me. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Doctor, can we speed this up? No. Um, so we were in that third trimester. And it was time to have the baby. And we're in there. Then all of a sudden, things started moving really fast. And as things started moving really fast, um, the intensity picked up in the room. And... All of a sudden, blood-curdling screams started filling the room, and the doctor, who was trying to get a nap or do, do whatever, had to hurry up and just, like, come in. So the doctor's coming in just like a ninja, you know, and, and like, is ready in action. And so they're screaming, there's legs up in the air, and, and that was just me. I mean, so... <laughs> That doesn't even count what was going on in my wife. And there was all this going on, and she is screaming, and I'm just like, and all of a sudden, I'm like, they're like, oh, you know, a head is crowning, and I'm like, look, and I'm like, whoa, oh, whoa, what is happening here? And I'm like grabbing, and so my wife's like, oh, I'm hot, can you fan me? So I have this plastic bedpan, and I'm fanning her. And then I get to looking, and I start getting woozy. All of a sudden, I hear, ow, 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 ow. And I'm hitting her in the head with a bedpan. I'm like, oh, sorry. What's happening here? Her brother and dad were walking down the hall. They were walking down the hall. And then all of a sudden, Emily just let out this scream. Ah! And they just turned around and just... You know, everybody thought it was going to be this beautiful moment. But sometimes when you're birthing something of significance, it'll require all of you to get it out. But the doctor said something that changed. I'll never forget this. Anna, Dr. Anna Householder looked at Elm and said, Emily, you're going to have to quit screaming. And you're going to have to turn that scream into a push. That some of us are screaming at everything else and all it is is a waste of energy when we need to quit screaming 
and start pushing on the purposes of God to be birthed out of us. See, some of us talk way too much. And some of you need to start pushing more than you're talking. And I'm here to tell you that the Christmas story was a story of a 14-year-old woman who knew how to push. Who knew what it was to stand in the gap and trust her God that he was going to see it all the way through to fruition. So the Christmas story is an act of war. That Jesus being born was like a nuclear bomb that was going to upend Satan and his kingdom forever. And Satan knew he had been after Jesus to kill him through the whole story. Little did they know that the crucifixion of Christ, the Bible says, if the principalities and powers had known it, they wouldn't have crucified him. And they're so evil that they wouldn't have crucified him, but they would have crucified everybody that would have tried to crucify him. So God used their wickedness against them, but they were after Jesus. And so we get this cosmic picture because how many of you know heaven's connected to earth? Jesus is always making that clear. He's saying whatever you bind on earth will be. Whatever you loose on earth will be. When one sinner repents... All of heaven rejoices. Jesus' prayer when he taught us to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on as it is. So there's this reality of what's loosed in heaven gets loosed there and matriculates its way down to the earth in order to bring us into the fulfillment of heaven on earth. That it all starts with a promise of God. And it matriculates through the principalities and powers and angelic warfare until it finally settles on a humble heart as a humble heart is ready to receive the promises of God. And when that, when that humble heart hits that promise or that seed or that word of God, something is birthed on the inside of us. Some of us are so casual with our sin because we don't understand that there's actually a war in the heavenlies over our souls. And so we flirt with things that we should be running from. That this birth was a powerful powerfully violent act of redemption. And so Revelation 12 pulls back the veil and says, here's what was going on up there. Just so you know, heaven's viewpoint. And I love the book of Revelation, right? Because, you know, it starts with this like crazy theophany of Jesus and John's having this this moment where he's like sitting on a pile of rocks in exile. But you know what he decided to do? He decided to get in the spirit in the Lord's day. Which tells me no matter where I'm at, if I'll get in the spirit on the Lord's day, God will do something in my life and begin to, begin to give me the promises of God. 
And so here he is on the, and he gets in the spirit, and then he goes through walking among the candlesticks is Jesus, and he sees this kind of picture of the church, and it's kind of most of the churches are pretty discouraging, right? Because how many of you know more people, more problems? Yeah, more people, more problems. And so as the church had grown, there was this compromise that had entered in and different things. And so Jesus has given John these letters to write to these churches. But then in chapter 4, I bet you he was probably like, oh, my goodness, the last church is Laodicea, and Jesus is knocking to get in on his own blood-bought church. He starts walking among the churches, and then by the end, he's knocking to try to get back in. And then in chapter 4, God says, come up here. I want to show you what's going on in the heavenly realm so that you can rest assured I'm still in control, I'm still on the throne, and I'm doing something significant in the earth. And so I'm not just going to show you what's going on down here. I'm going to open your eyes and let you see what's going on up here with me in the place that I rule and reign. So this is the kind of the picture that we get here. Revelation chapter 12. Then a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head was a crown of 12 stars. Now, there's, this is pointing us to a direct thing that was happening physically in the celestial realm, but also a story that's happening spiritually when the Christ child is being born, okay? So there's a lot going on here. There was an orthodox astral prophecy that was not pagan that the ancient people would use to find out times and seasons in the earth, okay? It wasn't astrology, it was astronomy, and it was a looking at the heavens in a way that they would declare the signs and seasons of God. It's why Psalm 19 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. And they do so without a voice, but they do so anyway. When Paul is talking in Romans 10 and he says that how will they hear without a preacher? And then how, how will they hear if nobody's sent? And he starts going off this. If you read on a little further, do you know what he says? They've already heard, and he quotes Psalm 19.4. So he gives us a clue that there was something in the heavens pointing to this day when a child would be born. How else did some ancient kings come from 900 miles away and know that the Christ child was going to be born unless they could look up and there was a sign fixed in this ancient cosmology that would have been a predictor that the king was going to come. I'm going to tell you all some stuff. This is going to be the first time you've probably ever heard it. Oh, man, I wish I had a laser pointer. I just, that would be perfect if I had that. Oh, hey, man, thanks. Oh, man, that is so cool. Thanks. Hey, so you know what? The Lord provides. I'm just telling you. You just never know what's in somebody's back pocket. And why did you have this? Um, uh, okay. So, okay. Bear with me, guys. Okay? We're going to do a little eighth grade. Earth science. Okay? <laughs> Some things here. Okay. So, a woman 
in the sky, clothed with the sun, okay? So this would have been the constellation Virgo, a virgin pregnant with the sun. So Virgo would have been overhead, and the sun would have been right there at a specific time. Now, we're just following the clues in Scripture. So you have Virgo, then you have, she would have been clothed with the sun, and here's this the elliptic thing that all the different signs travel on this elliptic pattern. So you have a virgin clothed with the sun, and the Bible says the moon was at her feet. Okay? And not only is she clothed with the sun, the moon at her feet, if you were to get Norton's star atlas, there's 12 stars above Virgo's head. So we're not just getting what was going on in heaven. We're getting a date that we could look to to see when the Christ was born. Okay? I'm just telling you, the deeper I've dug in this, the weirder and crazier it gets. Okay? So if you remember, Joseph had a dream. And remember in the dream, sheaves of wheat were bowing down to his sheaf, right? Virgo is thought to be a maiden, a virgin maiden carrying a sheaf of wheat. Wow. Not only that, he dreamed that the stars and the moons were bowing down and the other 11 stars to his star. So I think Joseph was seeing something about himself, but I also think there was a greater Joseph that was going to be a suffering servant that was coming that we're getting a clue to here. So there's allusions to Genesis 37.9, but then there's also something going on in the heavens that Revelation is pointing to that's pointing us to a day, a time, a man in which God was going to execute something beautiful in the earth. Okay? So... Oddly enough, the sign at Virgo's head would have been Leo, which would have been pointed to the line of the tribe of Judah. At the same time, Jupiter, which is known as the king of the planets, would have been at the head of this woman. And a star by the name of Regulus would have been there, which its name is, means little prince. So you had in conjunction of these clues that we have, you have Jupiter, Regulus, the sun at the midsection, the moon at the feet, 12 stars around the head, Leo is right here, and as we read further, we're going to find out there's a dragon waiting for something to be born. In ancient cosmology, they didn't view Libra and Scorpio as two separate things. They viewed them as one. Instead of scales, they saw Libra as part of these claws or this beast or this dragon that paired with Scorpio. So the ancient world would have saw a dragon at their feet. So they didn't have wristwatches and all this stuff like we have. They had to depend upon this stuff to figure out times and season. 
So when John is writing this book to a persecuted church, he's putting within it codes where that church would understand exactly what child was born, exactly when it was and what was going on. And that is what is happening right before us. So we're not just getting this uh, kind of elaborate allegorical story. John is pointing us to the reality of the exact time and date when all these things come into alignment when Jesus was born. Aren't you going to ask? <laughs> I thought you'd ask. Well, tell us! You might not care. Got to watch out. Hope and peace are up to my backside here. Uh, you know it's good when hope and peace are following you here. Uh, So we have this beautiful picture of a woman clothed with the sun, pregnant with the sun, moon at her feet, conjunction of a star and a planet at her head. Jupiter in Hebrew was Sadiq, which means righteousness. And all these things are happening. There's only one time in history, given that time, when Jesus could have, been could have been born, where every one of these clues would have happened in the sky at the same time. There was an 80-minute window where all this stuff happened at the same time. Get this. It was 3 B.C., September 11th. Wow. 3 B.C., September 11th. But how many of you know God doesn't go by our calendar? In the Jewish calendar, it was the Jewish New Year, Tishri 1, which is the seventh month in the Jewish calendar, which was Rosh Hashan, or the Feast of the Trumpets. In the Jewish New Year, the ten days till Yom Kippur, they celebrate the creation of the world and how God created everything. And within this 10-day span to Yom Kippur, they believed it's when God made the judgment of who was going to live and die that year. So it gave significance to Yom Kippur when the priest would go in at the Day of Atonement and begin to, to offer in. So this is the day that kings would also be inaugurated. Even if they were appointed at another time, this would be the day that they would be inaugurated and proclaimed as king. I know people say that the devil's in the details, but I'm just here to tell you, stop saying that, because God is in the details of every single thing that he's lining up here. So it begs the question. If the king is born at this time. And this is the time when they would have expected the judgment of God to be proclaimed. What was the judgment of God? You ready for it? Check this out. John 3.16. For this is the way God loved the world. That he gave his one and only son 
so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned. The one who does not believe has been condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Now, this is the basis for judging. Get this, that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light so that their deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that they may so it may be plainly evident that his deeds have been done in God. So we have this picture here of the first day of creation where God says, let there be then we have something being born in the heavens that's called the light that's sent to expel and expose darkness. That God is telling the story from the heavenly realm and he's making it so plain that we cannot miss it. Cannot miss it. That when God announces something and when he does something, he does it in a way that the only way we're going to miss it is if we choose to not look and not push into the thing that he's doing. That the cosmic gospel, that this cosmic Christmas was God standing over the chaos of Mary's life and saying, let there be light. And here's where the light's going to start in the chaos and emptiness that is the womb. It's in that place God starts the process of new creation. And so when we respond to the gospel, it's not just to forgive you of your sins. It's to bring you into the cosmic reality that new creation has started and I want to be a part of what you're doing, God, to make the world right again. And I can only do it through Jesus and through the power of his spirit. We're only on verse two. Pray for us. We're going to be quick. She was pregnant and was screaming in labor pains, struggling to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, a huge red dragon that had seven heads and ten horns, and on its head were seven diadem crowns. So we see this woman about to give birth, but then we see this dragon at at her feet just waiting for this because being uh, in a birthing process seems like the most vulnerable process because how many of you know you can't run off while you're giving birth? So you got to trust God when he's put a promise on the inside of you. And you can't get up before it's done. 
So she's in this birthing place and a dragon is there and he's ready. Ooh, I can't wait. I've got her right where I want her. She might be full of a promise, but my, my power is greater than the promise and I'm going to come. I'm just going to get this thing before it even is. I'm going to catch her at her most vulnerable place. And this dragon with the huge red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. Rome was known as the city on seven hills. So this is a picture of Satan and, and it's a picture of what he does to get his wares in the earth. That governments are a glove that Satan puts his hand in and tries to get his wares done. So it's not just a picture of Satan. It's a picture of Rome who was persecuting the church in a very vulnerable time. So we have this picture that's going on that this crazy wild dragon at the tail of this woman who's about to give birth verse 4 now the dragon's tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born verse 5 so the woman gave birth to a son a male child who is going to rule over the nations with a rod of iron. Her child was suddenly caught up to God and to his throne. Verse 6, and she fled into the wilderness where a place had been prepared for her by God so she could be taken care of for 1,260 days. Now watch this. Verse 7, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But the dragon was not strong enough to prevail, so there was no longer any place in heaven for him and his angels. So that huge dragon, the ancient serpent, the one called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, was thrown down to the earth and his angels along with him. See, we see a child being born God sees a wrestling match on the cosmic level where the Michael, the archangel,'s got Satan in a headlock and Satan's trying to get out. And there's a fight going on that it's not just a cute little baby, that in every child born, there's a potential of the promise of the DNA of God that, that they would call upon his name, that the world could be changed and made into a better place. Jesus has these little moments where he has these like divine flashbacks. In Luke 10, he sends out 72. And they come back, skipping. Even the demons were sub subject to us. You know what Jesus said? No, I wasn't the demons. I saw Satan falling. See, we're thinking we're running off demons and God's like, get a bigger picture. We're pushing out Satan and his kingdom in the earth. I said, I saw Satan falling. Verse 10, and then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the ruling authority of his Christ have now come. 
Because the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the one who accuses them day and night before our God, has been thrown down. That Satan's defeat in the heavenly realm by the crucified and now risen Lamb eventuates in him raging a relentless war against you. And unless you know in a war, you're going to waste this life. You'll come to church and you'll rust on a pew and never fulfill the promise of God that he's got on the inside of you. And Satan will leave you alone and you'll have you a nice little life and you'll never have any hiccups or distractions. But you'll miss out on the glory and the treasure and the beautiful plan of God in your life. Don't you dare settle for plan B and don't you dare take it safe this Christmas. You better ask God to come in and you better give him every part of your heart because you're going to miss out on the battle that's ahead. We got too many wimpy Christians. We got men so wimpy that these women outdo us all the time. Y'all better chill out. I'll make Joe get the flag and wave it all over you guys. You can't get your deliverance and keep your dignity at the same time. And I'm going to keep saying that till we get it. Some of you have had too many backdoor little conversations that hadn't cost you anything. And you keep talking about the same problem that you've been having for 40 years. Instead of getting down here at this altar and laying yourself bare and saying, God, I don't care if I'm in my most vulnerable point. I've got to give birth to this thing on the inside of me. Because if I don't, I won't make it. I don't care if a dragon's at my feet. I ain't going anywhere. And I'm going to be like Mary. I'm going to push as hard as I possibly can push. So why has he got so much beef with us? You know why? Because he can't mess with Jesus. And you remind him of Jesus every day of his life. Because Satan's job in the throne room, you know what it was? He was the prosecuting attorney. And he loved to stand before God and tell them how bad the people he picked were. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. He was able to get some stars with that thing. But Jesus took the only weapon out of Satan's hand that he had against us. And it was unforgiven sin. (laughs) And every time he goes to the throne room and he brings something up to one of God's own, God's like, I don't, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about. That Satan as God has overcome him, is now trying to make war 
with us. Why? Because we look so much like Jesus in him that he's got to try to make war with something because he's so arrogant and he's so prideful. But here's how you overcome. Are you ready? Verse 11, but they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life so much that they were afraid to die. Check this out, verse 12. Therefore, you heavens rejoice and all who reside in them. But woe to the earth. This is why we worship. Let me give you a little insight here. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you and he is filled with terrible anger for he knows that he only has a little time. So what we're doing when we choose to worship even though the dragon's at our feet, even though we've had a distracted, crazy, bad week with all kinds of stuff coming at us, even though we don't know which way we're going and he's come to earth and he's trying to make war with us, when we lift our hands and join the song of heaven and we start rejoicing and we start saying, God, we love you, we start matching the song of heaven and then heaven starts coming down to earth and suddenly everything else is whisked away and it doesn't matter. Suddenly time and space doesn't matter anymore because we're being ushered up and joining a heavenly song that's letting out a decree in the earth that says Satan you might have come at me you might have almost got me you might be at my feet when I'm in my most vulnerable place but I've come to tell you I'm going to worship anyway I'm not coming to church to get my fix I'm coming to church to lift up King Jesus and make much of him That's better than credit card debt. It's dry turkey and cranberry sauce. I can tell you right now. I just read some of your mail right there. That's okay. That's okay. That while heaven rejoices over Satan's defeat and God's people experience his wrath, they rub it in his face and start worshiping and start saying, oh, great is the one who is high and lifted up. The lamb that was slain that's worthy to open the seals, that has the plan, the battle plan to right everything in the world. When it looks like it's going upside down, God's in control and he's got everything going his way. It attunes us to sing the same song as heaven. And when we begin to sing the same song as heaven, the earth begins to perk up. You know why? Because they've never heard that song before. They've never heard it. How are they going to hear it if we don't sing it? How's the world going to hear the song of the redeemed if the redeemed don't know the song? If Satan can shut us up with a, you know, you locked your hogan dolls in your car and you're ready to turn in your church membership. And I 
I've determined in my life nothing's going to get my song. <laughs> and I can just tell you, me and my wife, we've had so many distractions the last three weeks. And you know what I learned? I learned it from uh, Papa Tommy's dad. You only fight battles that are standing between you and your destiny. Anything else is a distraction trying to lure you off. Some of you are fighting battles that have nothing to do with your destiny. And you're just busy doing all this stuff. And you're just out of energy. Why? Because you don't have grace to fight that battle. Your only battle is to fight the thing that's standing between you and God. And anything stilling your gaze and stilling your focus is not your battle. You leave it alone and you go on with the Lord and you press into his heart and you press into him. So though the nations and the demons and the rulers flex, there's not much they can do. There's not much they can do because the lamb that is slain has already defeated the enemy. I remember my dad, not to be too graphic, but to be graphic. My dad, whenever there was a poisonous snake in our yard, he would get a shovel. And he'd cut the head off. And as soon as he did, I'd want to pick up that head. <laughs> he'd go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't touch it. There's still nerves in there. It could still bite. And dad would actually bury the head and then let me play with the carcass. <laughs> Good times. Good times in my household growing up. Sorry, Dad. No, those were great times, really. But it was like Satan has been defeated. He's been thrown down. He's been beheaded by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But there's still some nerves in there that are twitching, but he's a defeated foe. Don't you let him convince you that he's got the victory over you in your life. Don't let him steal your song because heaven's singing and they're waiting for you to join in. This is what we're called to do. The decisive death blow has been dealt to the devil and even though he's wriggling out of control, he's in his death throes. And even though he thrashes about violently on earth, trying to do as much damage as possible, he's a loser. And he's not just a loser, because that would uh, kind of give it a present tense thing. I don't know how to make loser in the past tense. He's a loster. He's a loster. <laughs> Let's just put the devil under our feet right now. And just look down and just say, you're a loster. You're a loster. You're out of there, pal. Oh, yeah, we better do communion or something. Let our team come. Go ahead, Chad. Let's, 
give people some hope and start throwing some bread out here. <laughs> I'm just telling you, don't get in a hurry. Don't get in a hurry. What's better than Jesus?
of you got a seed when you came in? How many of you still got the seed? See how diligent you are. That was a coriander seed. And the Bible says when the children of Israel were coming out of bondage, that bread fell from heaven. They called it manna, which means, what is it? <laughs> but it felt like coriander seed, and I'm like, hey, man, I'm a hillbilly from Arkansas. I'm like, what in the heck's a cor you know, coriander seed? So I ordered some on Amazon. And if you've got the seed, what detail do you notice about it? Put on your quad focals and see if you Do you see that striped? The bread that came from heaven was striped for our nutrition. And so it's like when this bread would fall from heaven and they would gather it, they would take these little things that look like coriander seeds and then they would crush it.
became a sweet wine, a fresh fruit that would refresh us. So Lord, thank you for making a banquet feast out of a tremendous pressing First year, this was a lot easier to do. Let's start lighting those candles. Yeah. And as they light yours, pass it to your left or to your right. Miss Jeannie's going to sing at this time if we get the Oh. 
holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Oh, night divine. 
here's what I want to do. If you've been saved or rededicated in a year, it's been a year or less, I want you to blow your candle out this time. If you've been saved or rededicated five years or less, I want you to blow your candle out. If you've been saved or rededicated 10 years or less, blow your candle out. you've been saved or rededicated 15 years or less, blow your candle out. If you've been saved or rededicated 20 years or less, go ahead and blow your candle out at this time. That one got me. If you've been saved or rededicated 25 years or less, blow your candle out at this time. If you've been saved or rededicated 30 years or less, go ahead and blow yours out. If you've been saved or rededicated 40 years or less, you can go ahead and blow yours out at this time. Karen, how old are you? <laughs> oh my gosh, were you John the Baptist saved from the womb or something? Hey. I'm ready for that. If you've been saved or rededicated 50 years or less, go ahead and blow your candle out this time. Wow. If you've been saved or rededicated 55 years or less, go ahead and blow your candle out this time. Miss Rita, how, how long have you been saved? 62 years, yeah. You can blow your candle out. Dad, how long you been saved? 60 years. You can blow yours out, Dad. Richard, how long you been saved back there? 60 years. You can blow your candle out this time. I don't know, is that Phil back there? How long, Phil? 65 years. Well, go ahead and blow yours out. I can't see. Sherry, is that Sherry? Okay. Sherry, how long have you been saved? 63 years. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, Mistina. How long have you been saved, Mistina? Whoa! Take that, devil. Nancy, how long have you been saved? I think that's Nancy. 60 years. Wow. Miss Brenda? 60 years. Wow. Oh, behind me. Miss Jeannie, how long have you been saved? Almost 60 years. Wow. Pop Tommy? 60 years, man. Where's Larry? Oh, there's Larry. Larry, how long you been saved? 66. 56 years. Okay. 
All right. Miss Ellie, how long have you been saved? 72 years. Wow. reason why I do this is for everybody to see you can have a good long run and you can stay saved and keep yes. loving Jesus. And so I just want to honor you guys that have been faithful. We're standing on your shoulders. And we are honored, honored by you and your faithfulness. And so we just want to say we love you. Amen. Won't you hug somebody's neck? Tell them you love them. Enjoy the rest of your day. Merry Christmas. And we'll see you Friday. If you're picking up kiddo. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.